All right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex, and I have the privilege of going into God's Word with you today. That's the first time I've done that with a video up there. I realized I should probably walk up after the video plays, so <laughs> note for next time. Um, anyways, I want to start this off today with just kind of a, a, a question for you to think about as we go through this message, which is, is your relationship with God solid? Are you confident in your relationship with God? So be thinking about that question as, as we walk through this today. So I, I want to kind of get us into this with a, a fun little twist on a, a fairy tale like princess rescue here. So, so bear with me on this one. Um, so this prince finds out about this princess that's locked away in a castle, right? And he's thinking, all right, here's my shot. Okay, I've, I've heard these stories. This is, this is how I get the princess. So he goes to this castle, right? He gets, gets past all the, the gators in the moat and you know, defeats this weird guy named Rumpelstiltskin, and then, you know, slays the dragon in this big fiery battle. The castle's about to just crash down all around him. And he gets to the princess, and he's like, all right, princess, I, I made it. I've come here to rescue you. The, the kiss is going to have to wait, though. We got to go. And she's just like, why? Like, the whole, whole castle is about to crash down all around her, and she's just standing there like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. So... I don't know if any of you are familiar with memes, but uh, there's a very popular one called This Is Fine, right? And so this is, uh, yeah. It's a, a good illustration of kind of what's going on here, right? Got all these flames going on, and, and everything's about to burn down. And he's just chilling there. Just, yeah, everything's good. So today we're going to be in, in Psalm 51. So if you want to turn there, um, and as you're turning there, I'll give you a little, little background on this. So um, David, king of Israel, he messed up pretty bad. He, he messed up real bad. So he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then finds out she's pregnant. And so to cover it up, he basically organizes this thing where her husband is killed in battle, makes sure that this happens. I mean, just awful, right? Just, just these terrible sins that build on each other. And then the prophet Nathan comes to him and confronts him on this and says, hey, I know what you did. And David, in that moment, is brought to repentance. And he, he writes Psalm 51. So we're going to read Psalm 51. We're just going to go verses 1 through 12 here. And this is... This is David after he has just been broken down by this confrontation with Nathan. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Father, we uh, just come before you today with hearts that long to know you, that long to know you better, Lord, and, and specifically today in those moments when, when we know we haven't, we haven't acted rightly, when we know we've made decisions that have gone against your desires, Lord, when we recognize those things within us that we know are broken, that we know tear us down and keep us from you, God, we, we want to know your heart for us in those moments. God, um, just guide us through this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we, as we look at this section right here at Psalm 51, we see David repenting. Um, and he starts out with, with listing these three different ways in which he messed up, right? He's, he's got transgressions, iniquity, and sin. So transgression, it's really an act. Transgression is, is like, there's this rule. I know the rule. I'm going to break it anyways. It's, it's, I know what my taxes should look like, but I'm going to do it this way because it gets me a little bit more money, right? So that's transgression. Iniquity is really kind of more like, it's a state, right? It, it's... It's something inside you that you know is, is not quite right. In fact, it comes from the Hebrew word um, meaning bent. There's just there's something wrong. There's this thing in you that should be straight, but it, it's not functioning properly. And, and you, you make poor decisions because of that, all this stuff, right? But it, that's this internal state that we have. And then you have sin, which is, you can think of that really as more of like a standing um, it's your standing in front of God. It's you've fallen short of God's expectations. The, the image with that is, you know, the archer who, who pulls back on the bow and he's got this target over there and uses all his strength, all his might, and he lets it go and it just doesn't even get close to the target. It falls short, right? Accuracy doesn't even have anything to do with it. You just, you weren't even going to get close to that target to begin with. So he opens it up with explaining, like, I, I know my acts are wrong. I know there's something broken inside of me, and I know that my standing before God, there's something wrong there that needs to be dealt with. In verses 3 and 4, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So we see that, that he, he kind of builds on each one of these, these transgression and iniquity and sin. It's, yes, I, I've transgressed the law by committing adultery, by, by doing murder. It's, yes, I've gone into iniquity through just this plotting that I did. There's this, this evil inside me that wanted to plot and make it right, and I took this sin and I made it worse and worse and worse. But it's even more than that. It's, I have fallen short of God's standard. It's, he comes in and he says, against you, you only have I sinned. That to him, it wasn't just like another facet of this sin. This was the big key portion here, is he fell short of God's standard. And, and you read that, and at first you're like, well, no, it wasn't just against God that you sinned. Like, you sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. Like, I mean, just awful. And yet he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And it's a strange, strange verse there. 
but he's not, he's not minimizing what he did to Bathsheba and Uriah and all those around him. What he's doing is he's maximizing what he did to God. He knows that that, that has to be dealt with. So I want to do a, a little thought experiment here, right? And so you're sitting, you're watching the news one day, and you hear this story on the news. This guy who you know, had multiple priors, had just robbed a liquor store, just wasn't a good person, right? He gets mugged on the way home. Everything taken from him, and then the police come by, pick him up, take him to jail because he had arrest warrants out, all this stuff, right? So that's one story. Now let's change the characters a little bit. Let's say you're watching that same news story, and you hear about this person that's been mugged, and you find out it's like this mother of four who is this upstanding person in the community who, you know, teacher at school, all the kids' favorites, and they're the person who always smiles at you and asks you how you're doing. Which one of those stories really gets you riled up, right? We have a different response internally to those two different stories. We recognize one of these people, well, that they weren't really a great person to begin with. And this other person, we have this kind of perceived goodness of them, right? We, we, there's something in us that just really wants to revolt against that second story there. And, and the point I want to get across here is, is our outrage against evil is scaled up or, or it's magnified by the perceived goodness of the pers- person to whom that evil is committed, right? And we all know this, right? That there's this inherent feeling inside of us that, that tells us this. Now take that even further. God is infinitely good. God is infinitely loving, right? God, God gave his son for us. God is the one who weaves children together in the womb. He is so far and infinitely above this perceived goodness that we have here. And, and David recognizes that. That's why he says, against you, you only have I sinned, because God is so infinitely far above what we know as goodness. And so we see in there this kind of wiring that we have, right? And when we look at the world around us, we see these stories of, of you know, the, the evil that's committed against a person, or we see these kind of natural disasters that happen in these areas, and we think, oh, these innocent people that have been affected by it, right? And we feel that just kind of come up inside us. It, it wells up. What do we do with that? What is that feeling? Why do, why do we get that? Why do we have that feeling? It's a grace from God that we get that feeling. And the reason is we don't see our own sin the way that we should see it. We don't feel the weight and the pain of our own sin the way that we should feel it. But we can feel the pain when we see somebody else get hurt. We can feel the weight of sin when we see these natural disasters happen. And so the point of those is that we look at those, we see these evil things that happen, and we get that feeling inside of us, and and God's telling us, that's your sin. Your sin is that evil. Your sin is that wicked. And we don't tend to see that in ourselves. And so the first step in in repentance, we're going to go through four steps here. And the first step in this is 
recognition. It's recognizing sin for what it is. Before true repentance can take place, we must first recognize our sin for the evil that it is. If you make little of your sin, you're not going to do anything about it because it doesn't matter to you. Repentance won't happen until you understand just how evil sin is. And it's harder and harder to do today, right? I mean, we have the, the sexual revolution that, that is going on that at this point, it's not even that you need to accept it. It's you need to celebrate what's going on in the world around us. We have pornography is just a, a seconds away if you want it, right? It, it's just a couple clicks. We have this social media and how easy is it to slander and gossip and do all of these things when you're on the other side of a phone, right? It's, it's so easy to do these things and not think much of them. But we need to, as Christians, stand on scripture and recognize sin for what sin is. And God doesn't make all these rules, right, to, to make us miserable. God makes these rules because he knows what's good for us. He, it's not even rules, it's boundaries. It's he designed you to function in a certain way and he knows that inside of these bounds, this is gonna be what is best for you. Verse five, David writes, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So before we had kind of a recognition of sin, and here we have a, a recognition of this is really, th this verse right here describes iniquity. It's from the womb, something was broken. It's I could go into a perfect world, perfect people all around me, and I would screw it up, right? Because I've got something broken inside of me. I'm going to bring that sin with me wherever I go. And we have a tendency, uh, not just as people, but as Christians, as, as whatever we are, we have this tendency to want to self-justify, right? To kind of make little of our own sins, to look at other people and say, well, at least I'm not that guy. You know, like, like our sin doesn't matter as much because I'm not Derek, right? <laughs> at least I'm not Derek. Like, thank goodness. But that, that misses the point, right? Or, or we look at the world around us and we say things like, well, you don't know my kids. Or you don't know my parents, the struggles I have with my parents. Or, or you don't know my boss or, or my financial situation. All these things, we try to kind of brush our sin away, brush it under the rug because of all these other things that are happening. But what God gets, wants to get across in Scripture, and you see this all through. You see Romans 3.23, Paul writes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. In 1 John 1, 9 through 10, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amazing. And then right after that, he says, but if we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we recognize that sin within us. And then we start moving on to the next step. Once you have recognized the sin, once you have recognized sin for what it is, after recognizing the wickedness of our own sin, we must confess it to God. 
So we recognize our sin for what it is. And then we go to God and tell him, I screwed up. I've got this brokenness inside of me. If we fail to confess, we commit what Paul Tripp refers to as gospel insanity. It's, it's showing that we don't really actually understand the gospel when we don't go to God in confession. He's, and he explains it by saying, it's impossible for anything to ever be exposed that hasn't already been covered by the son of David, the savior, the King Jesus. I love that quote. It's, it, it's, brings us hope in confession, right? Because confession, it, it's not comfortable. Confession is like, a, ugh, I, I really screwed this up, and now I've got to have this conversation. I've got to deal with this. It's really uncomfortable. But what a hope is in those verses of anything you go to God with, he knows. He knows it. He knew it before you were going to do it, and he died for you anyways. He's there. He's ready to listen. So we confess And then we go into 6 through 10, and David's going to start kind of talking about the next step in here. He says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So, so far, David's recognized his sin. He's gone to God. He's confessed his sin. Now he's going to move on to renewal. After confession, God must renew us. And David recognizes that God is the only one who can teach us wisdom. God is the only one who can clean us. God is the one who has to purge that sin out from us. God is the one who has to take that, that bent part in us and start, start molding that so it's nice and straight. God is the one who has to do that. And, you know, when we talk to others and, and, and those around us and they tell us, you know, somebody confesses to us, you know, a lot of times the way we deal with it to try to kind of give somebody hope is we'll say something like, it's all right. It's all right. It's, it's not that big a deal. You know, they're fine. Everybody's fine. Let's just move on. Stuff like, and that's not how God deals with it, though. That's not how God renews. When you do that, it's, again, just brushing sin under the rug. In fact, it says in here that God broke David's bones so that he would rejoice. Now, not physically. He didn't physically break David's bones, right? But this is the spiritual... God crushed him spiritually. He brought him down to the mat and crushed him spiritually. But he didn't do it just to make David feel pain. He did it so that David could get through the pain and rejoice. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. See, it would have been hateful for God to not do that. I think that's something weird for us to hear, right? That, that it would be hateful for God to not crush David in that moment. But that was exactly what David needed. David wasn't going to go to God for renewal if God didn't crush him first. 
if God didn't bring him down and make him feel the weight of his own sin, David was never going to go to God for renewal. But God knew that's what David needed. That's what we need, right? That's what each and every one of us needs is renewal from God, to be purged, to be cleaned, all of this. And the way that God does that oftentimes is he shows us our sin. He shows us where we messed up. And he makes us really feel the weight of it. Because when you get to that point and you know that the only thing you can do is go to God, that's exactly where God wants you to be. It's a grace because in that moment, God can get a hold of his heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Such an amazing verse. It's this idea of like, if you were to grab a stone and squeeze as hard as you possibly can, the stone doesn't change, right? The stone's the stone. It's not going to move. It's not going to budge. You're not going to put a little dent in it, anything. But when he gives you a heart of flesh, he can, he can mold that. And so it is a grace from God to crush David in that moment because David, that was the only way that he was going to get a heart that God could mold. So the next step, once sin is recognized and confessed, we must be renewed by God. And there's really two aspects to renewal in here. Um, you, see, you see David say, create in me a clean heart. That's, that's cleaning everything up. That's dealing with the past. It, it's giving him a right standing before God again. And he says, renew a right spirit within me. And that's moving forward. Now what are you going to do? And there's a really great um, image of that. When, when Jesus, um, at one point, he comes across this woman. The Pharisees bring this woman to him. And they're about to stone her for adultery. And they come to him and they, they're testing him out, right? And so they say, this woman was just caught in adultery. Now, the law says we need to stone her. What do you say we do? And he turns to them and he says, whichever one of you hasn't sinned, go ahead and cast the first stone. And they all walk away, right? Because every one of them knew. In fact, it says that they did it from oldest to youngest because the oldest ones were like, ooh, yeah, okay, I'm out of here. Um, and then Jesus turns to her after they all walk away and he says, is there no one left here to condemn you? And she says, none. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So there's two aspects there. It's, I don't condemn you. You have a right standing before me. Now go and sin no more. And so we deal with the past, and then God renews us so that we can act rightly in the future. In verses 11 and 12, he says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And this is just such a great way to kind of end this section here. It's just, he didn't do all of this so that David could, could walk away just feeling crushed. He didn't walk away from this feeling downcast or beat up or anything. David walked away from this with joy. The last step in repentance, true biblical repentance, always ends with rejoicing. Always. 
And it's not because, it, it's not just because, okay, this sin's been dealt with now, I can move on with my life. It's, it's because I can look back on this and say, wow, God brought me through this. And then I can look at my heart and say, wow, God really grabbed a hold of my heart here. God is at work in me. And that's what more exciting news can you have in that moment after going through all of that. So this series, though, I, I want to wrap this up, actually, by, by going back to verse 1, because this series is all about the heart of God. It's knowing the heart of God. And so we're going to rewind a little bit, go back to verse 1. And David starts this whole thing off with, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. You see, this whole section here, this whole psalm, this doesn't exist if God's love is not steadfast. David doesn't write any of this if God is not just overflowing with mercies. I think of the song we, just, we sang right before the end there of, my sins, they are many, and your mercy is more. No matter how much you sin, God's got his arms just full of this mercy. He's just so excited to hand out to you. And all you got to do is turn to him. All you got to do is go through this, recognize, confess, be renewed. And then he, he's just full of this mercy, and you walk away rejoicing. The steadfast love, it's this idea of like, like your sin can't even tear down his love. It's, if you ever played the game King of the Hill, right? You, you stand up on the top and, and somebody's supposed to knock you. Nobody's taking God's love down, right? Your sin is not taking God's love down. It's going to stand fast right there. And that, the abundant mercies are just, it's overflowing. God is just, it, there's never ending mercy from God here. We have this idea of like, God is this wrathful person, like up in heaven, just waiting to smite you, right? There's this weird idea out there of like that. And it, it's, it comes from, really, it comes from us kind of projecting ourselves onto God. If you look in Hebrews, actually, the writer of Hebrews said, to provoke one, one another to love and good deeds, right? So we have to, as humans, be told to, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. We need to be provoked to love. And but you never see God being saying anything about like, well, they provoked me to love. It's No, he just does that. That's God's default. For us, our, our default is, is the wrath and the, the wanting to smite you and, and all of this stuff. Like, that's our default. We, and yet we project this onto God. And so then we get this weird idea of God here. But um, Dane Ortland says this. He says, we tend to think divine anger is pent up, spring-loaded, Divine mercy is slow to build, and it's just the opposite. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is not to, to watch you in your sin and just wait for the day when he can crush you for it. It's, it's to bring you back. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is to show you mercy. He might crush you in a moment, but the hope is in that. The hope is in you coming back to him. And so at the beginning, I asked you to kind of think about as we went through this, what, what is your relationship with God like? What, are you confident in your relationship with God? And the only way you can really know that is to know the heart of God. Right? I can be confident in my relationship with my wife because I know my wife. 
You have to know God. You've got to know his heart here. And this is his heart. And so if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, right, it, and you've got some sin that you're just, you just can't let go of, you're just struggling through it, know his heart. His heart for you is to come to him, to be renewed. If you haven't placed your faith in him, I've got kind of a separate question of, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do when you have that feeling inside you where you know something's wrong? You know something's off. You know you've acted wrongly in this situation. You know you've got these thoughts in you that aren't right. What do you do with that? And that's not to say that we as Christians don't have that too, all right? So just to get that out there. But where do you go with that? Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that look like a God that wants to just punish you? That's not, that's not his heart. His heart is mercy and love. He wants you to come to him. That, that weight you've been carrying, that burden, he, he took it up to the cross. He's dealt with it. Go to him and take off that load. So I, I want to just end this with, if, if you're struggling through some sin and you do know Jesus, you know, there's hope there. There's hope in these verses. If you want somebody to talk to you about that, to walk through that, to pray through that with you, come and see me. If you don't know Jesus, he can take that burden you've been carrying. I also want to finish with just, uh, there's a, a book out in the, the entryway out there. We've got a bookshelf out there. We sell all the books for it, its cost. We don't make any money on them. But there's, there's a book sitting out there called Gentle and Lowly. And the, the subtitle on it is actually The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, that's actually where the Dane Ortland quote came from in here. But it's just an amazing resource. If you just need something to give you that hope to see God's heart in those times, I would highly recommend it. But, Right. I'll pray and then uh, we'll sing to God again. Father, we thank you that you are merciful, that your love does not end, that there's nothing we can do to stop your love, to minimize your love. God, I pray that uh, each one of us here, God, that we would look in our hearts, we would recognize any ways in which we've gone wrong and we would confess, God, that uh, we would come to you and that you would renew us, that we would walk away rejoicing because our heart has been made new. Our heart has been made clean and it's only through you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.